It's time now for Here's the Thing, a show that's all about you with your host, Lauren Cardinal, a board-certified hypnotist and results coach. If you're looking to make a positive change this year, learn lifelong tools to reduce stress and be present. If you're stuck and need to remove the blocks that are from success and happiness in the areas of your life, or if you want to get a new perspective on things, well, it's time to talk to Lauren Cardinal. To talk to Lauren, call 732 748 1079. That's 732-748-1079. And now, here's your host, Lauren Cardinal. Hello, and thank you for joining me for Here's the Thing. I'm your host, Lauren Cardinal. If you want to change your life, it starts with changing your mind. Right here, right now. So thank you for listening right now on Oldies 107.9 WLD. Now serving even more of Central Jersey at 95.1 FM. In addition to the Sussex County listening audience at 97.5 FM for my show. For those of you who may be listening for the first time, this show, Here's the Thing, is the opportunity for us to discuss relevant and timely topics so you can make positive changes in your life, learn how to reduce stress, gain a new perspective, and just live a better life. I'm a certified life coach and clinical hypnotherapist, and we'll be talking about what's important to you. In this one-hour show, I take calls, answer questions, and coach you through issues in the moment. This is about you and for you. So thank you for listening live, and thank you to my podcast listeners far and wide. I've got a lot to get through tonight, so I'm just going to dig right in. Did you know that 90% of Americans suffer from the I'll do it tomorrow syndrome? What task do you find yourself procrastinating around? Paying taxes, maybe? Doing tasks that you find distasteful or boring? Projects that need to be done? How about even calling a family member? Did you know that more than 40% of people have actually experienced a financial loss because of procrastination? Interesting, right? Not fun, but interesting. We all have excuses for doing or not doing things, but the hardest excuses to relinquish are the reasonable excuses. You know, the explanations that sound reasonable, but are actually just fear procrastination or avoidance in disguise and with so much to do it's natural for all of us to procrastinate on occasion but the latest research shows that chronic procrastination isn't only damaging to our careers relationships and finances it also hurts our health and undermines our overall well-being tonight we're going to talk about why we all procrastinate and what we can do to make changes I'm hoping you'll learn a lot about yourself in the process and maybe even understand a little bit more about the people in your life because it's a really interesting thing that even how in a relationship each of us can procrastinate but about different things and it can create tension right there. Later on in the show, we'll talk about some tips and things you can do, you can do to help with changing your procrastination habits. Now, last week in the show, it was about positive communication. It was a pre-recorded show in honor of Labor Day weekend. 
My last live show was the week before, and we talked about navigating through those unavoidable toxic relationships. We discussed ways to stay balanced around unsupportive, unhealthy, and unavoidable relationships and help you identify them better and faster so you can use your power of choice to close the door on them sooner. We also, I brought up an email that I got from a listener named Jean. And we had a caller, Kim, who responded to Jean. And I did receive an email again from Jean in response to what was said on the show two weeks ago, uh, what Kim suggested. And I'd like to read that email to you. She said that she was definitely feeling a little bit anxious after the show, but she got the message that she needed to move forward for her inner well-being. And you can't always get what you want, she says. Because of what she does, it's her busy season, so she hasn't gone back to the counselor yet. Um, in the meantime, she decided to take action with some suggestions. And for those of you who aren't familiar with Jean's story, the toxic relationship that she was trying to work with, is trying to work with, is primarily with what who used to be her best friend. Her husband and her best friend were carrying on in an intimate relationship and affair for 15 years, which is about f half of her married life. So she was trying to reach out to this woman to get some closure and wanting to speak face-to-face -face and was hitting dead ends. So she mentions in the email today that the first thing she wanted was closure, to reach out for a conversation with the other woman because it was her silence that was driving her crazy. And at first she thought she needed a face-to-face -face conversation, and it didn't happen. But they did have a text conversation. And she was smart. She went about it and contacted the daughter and explained to the daughter that she wanted to just start communicating with this woman again. And that's how they were able to start texting. And she said it worked pretty well. She wouldn't meet, the woman wouldn't meet with Jean face-to-face -face because she said there was already enough that had been said between them. And she said that the other woman said that she hoped that Jean would find some satisfaction in the fact that her husband and children would never look at her the same again because everything is out in the open. She said that she was, <clears throat> Jean said that she was aware of how she was feeling and how uh, the situation was affecting both of them. And she said that she thought, she, Jean thinks in time that this woman would agree to a meeting. But here's the important part. She said, quite honestly, I'm not even sure I need that anymore. I felt that burden lifted in realizing, yes, she is selfish and will always be selfish. She said, as far as my relationship with my husband, I told him for now he can stay at the house on my terms in his own space. I think he finally realizes there is no going back to the relationship we had, and I'm glad for that. We're not making any knee-jerk reactions. Both of us have to be realistic with what has happened and what's at stake. Discussions, priorities, and smart decisions for both financial reasons and for inner well-being are being made. And he needs to make the decision to communicate better, and it is his choice to do so or not. Very healthy. Jean, excellent. Uh, what is it? She said it's one day at a time. She's doing what she can to build her confidence back. She said in a few weeks she's going on a free spirit trip to Maine with just Jean and her dog. 
and lots of thinking to do. And, Gene, what I'm seeing here is just some action, small action, and what a difference it's made. Way to go. You must feel so much better. You're making choices, and you're owning them, and you're in charge of your situation. It's progress, Gene. Great, great progress. So if you want to hear more about the situation with Gene or about the show on toxic relationships and what was discussed, or if you'd like to hear it again, you can find that podcast as well as all of my previous shows podcast on my website. That's www.laurencardinal.com or through iTunes. And Cardinal is C-A-R-D-I-N-A-L-E, like the bird but with an E on the end. So for those of you that are consistent listeners, you know that I often do a visualization at the end of the show. And this week I'm not going to do that because starting this week, I'll have a newsletter that goes out every week on Thursdays. Here's the thing on Thursday. It'll be short and sweet. My weekly newsletter will provide highlights of the radio show that was done the, the Monday prior, ponderings on a thought or maybe a quote or links to some really great information. Right now, you can go to my website's contact page. Just click on the newsletter icon and you're in. Also, if you send me an email to lauren at laurencardinal.com, I'll add you to the newsletter list. For all newsletter recipients, this week and next week, I'll forward to you a free recording based on the radio show from that Monday. So this Thursday, you'll receive a recorded visualization to make changes to procrastination habits. To get that, Either click on the newsletter link on my website or send me an email and ask to sign up. It's that easy to get a free hypnosis recording. Also, for my newsletter subscribers, you'll have first access to free items and all other recordings in the future. Great. So, again, I'd like to welcome the Sussex County listening audience to the show on WRSK 97.5, broadcasting pre-recorded shows from Sussex County Community College on Saturday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. And welcome to the 95.1 FM listeners. The live shows are recorded on Monday nights from 7 to 8 p.m. on 107.9 WOLD Radio. And as always, you can listen to the live show on the Internet at WOLDradio.com, through the TuneIn Radio app on your phone, Android phones, or the free Apple device app. Now... Let's get on with the show. You're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm your host, Lauren Cardinal, board-certified hypnotist and results coach. And tonight we're talking about understanding more, more about and ultimately how to change procrastination habits. If you'd like to work with me and volunteer for some coaching, call in live right now. Call into the show, and we can play with some fun tools. The number is 732-748-1079. That's 732-748-1079. Now, when I started doing the research for this show, one of the first really interesting things I learned is that everyone procrastinates to some degree occasionally. And that procrastination is as old as we are. There are things being documented back in the 1600s. And not that that's the beginning of time, but it certainly is not just about what we're dealing with these days. First and foremost, procrastination is voluntary. It is voluntary. It's defined as postponing an action despite the fact that we know there's going to be a price to pay for the delay of it. It's putting off what's important 
and getting caught up in the what's urgent syndrome. It's the state of acting against your better judgment. It's when you do one thing, even though you know you should do something else. Now, there's something interesting, and I'm going to ask you to to picture this in a moment. There's something called the Eisenhower Matrix, and you may be familiar with it. It's named after the famously productive president, Dwight D. Eisenhower. Now, Eisenhower thought that people should spend their time on what was truly important to them. And actually, my brother-in-law was just talking about this a few weeks ago. Timely, very timely. So picture in your mind a matrix that's divided into four quadrants. Take a big square and make a cross in it. Quadrant one has to do with things that are urgent and important. Quadrant two is urgent but important. Quadrant three is urgent but not important. And quadrant four is not urgent and not important. And examples. Quadrant one, urgent and important, a crying baby, a kitchen fire, um, some phone calls. Something in quadrant two that's not urgent but important, exercise, your career, planning. Quadrant three, urgent but not important, interruptions, distractions, other calls. And quadrant four, the not urgent, not important, trivia, busy work, time wasters. Now, Eisenhower thought that people should spend their time on what was truly important to them, the tasks in quadrants one and two. Unfortunately, most procrastinators mostly hang out in quadrants three and four, with brief visits into quadrant one, one when panic takes over. Then again, so much of our lives and the the demands of it right now are that we're so pressed to do what's urgent, like deadlines, that we don't spend the time to look at what's important to us or for us, those things in quadrant two. Quadrants one and three may be where we survive, but quadrant two is where we will all thrive, grow, and blossom. So, getting into quadrant two. Now, most psych- which we'll get to that. Most psychologists see procrastination as a kind of avoidance behavior, a coping me- mechanism that's gone awry, in which people give in to feel good. It usually happens when people fear or dread or have anxiety about the important task awaiting them. To get rid of this negative feeling, people procrastinate. They open up a video game or Pinterest or Facebook instead. That makes them feel better temporarily, but unfortunately, reality comes back to bite them in the end. And once the reality of a deadline sets in again, Procrastinators feel more extreme shame and guilt. But for an extreme procrastinator, those negative feelings can be just another reason to put the task off, with the behavior turning into a vicious self-defeating cycle. Ultimately, procrastination undermines our well-being because it mentally immobilizes us. And unfortunately, sometimes to the point where we're unable to complete tasks and then we really go into that avoidance mode. So why do we avoid or procrastinate then? Because the task is boring, maybe, or that it's overwhelming. Maybe it's the fear of the unknown, the fear of change, the fear of failure, or how about the fear of success? In our stressed out and perfectionist often ways, 
Perhaps it's the fear that somehow we'll be wasting time, that we need more information first to make it perfect before we're ready to take action. And when that, what ends up happening then? Nothing, quite often. Hunter Thompson says a man who procrastinates in his choosing will inevitably have his choice made for him by circumstance. And I want to say, now hear this. It's not about being lazy, and it rarely has to do with poor time management. Other than the fact that we, as humans, are all wired for procrastination to some extent. It's actually something in the brain. It's Your brain is designed to delay anything that it doesn't understand, because when you get that little indicator in your brain, the thing that says, not enough information, does not compute, particularly with an emotional charge to the situation. If you move beyond it without enough information, you're going to make a choice or a decision that will potentially cause conflict, and you're going to get stressed. So you're actually neurologically designed to procrastinate to a certain extent. But other than the extent of our internal brain wiring, from what I've gathered from the research on this topic, procrastination has to do with two things, time inconsistency and emotion. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm your host, Lauren Cardinal, board-certified hypnotist and results coach. And tonight we're talking about changing procrastination habits. Now, not later. If you'd like to work with me and volunteer for some coaching, call in live right now at 732-748-1079. That's 732-748-1079. So procrastination has to do with time inconsistency and emotion. Let's talk about time inconsistency first. Time inconsistency is the difference between the perception of the present and the future self. Think of it this way. Even though we know that the person we will be in a month is theoretically the same person that we are today, we have little concern, understanding, or empathy for that future self. We can't seem to connect to that person. And we're far more focused on how we feel today. There's a gentleman by the name of Hal Hirschfeld. Hirschfeld. He's a psychologist at UCLA Anderson School of Management, and he studies the present and future self. He says that when making long-term decisions, people tend to fundamentally feel a lack of emotional connection to their future selves. Think about that for a minute. Does that happen to you? I know it happens to me. So even though we know on some fundamental level that in a year's time it will still be us, excuse me, I just need to take a little drink here, in some ways we treat that future self as if he or she is fundamentally a different person. And it's as if he's not going to benefit or suffer from the consequences of our actions today. I think the best way to understand this is by imagining that you have two selves, your present self and your future self. When you set goals for yourself, like losing weight, 
reducing weight, I should say, because we tend to always want to find the things that we lose. That's a hypnotherapy thing. Like reducing weight or writing a book or learning a language. You're actually making plans for your future self. You're envisioning what you want your life to be like in the future. And researchers have found that when you think about your future self, it's quite easy for your brain to see the value in taking actions with long-term benefits. The future self values long-term rewards. However, while the future self has set goals, only the present self can take action. When the time comes to make a decision, you're no longer making a choice for your future self. Now you're in the present moment, and your brain is thinking about the present self. Researchers have discovered that the present self really likes in instant gratification, not long-term payoff. So, the present self and the future self are often at odds with one another. The future self wants to be trim and fit, for example, but the present self wants a donut. Sure, everyone knows you should eat healthy today to avoid being overweight in 10 years, but consequences like an increased risk for diabetes or heart failure are years away. Now, you and I have also discussed before that there's a lot more to it in the subconscious than just simply the willpower of not eating a donut, particularly as it, has to, as it relates to weight reduction, in addition to many other things. But for the sake of understanding present and future self, this example works. Mr. Hirschfeld's research supports this idea also. He's done MRIs of people's brains. As they thought about themselves in the present and then about themselves in the future. And I thought this was pretty interesting. Obviously, that's why I included it. He found that people process information about their present and future selves with different parts of their brains. Their brain activity when describing their self in a decade was similar to when they were describing someone else, like a celebrity, totally unrelated, a completely different person disconnected and the present self versus the future self is the reason why you might go to bed feeling motivated to make a change in your life but when you wake up you find yourself falling back into old patterns your brain values long-term benefits when they're in the future but it values immediate gratification when it comes to the present moment research also suggests that procrastinators might be able to get more in touch with our future selves, which could help us make, make us happier in the long run. One of the things that was mentioned that I think they said that um, life insurance companies were doing is allowing potential customers to get pictures of themselves and see the aging process so that they were better able to connect with their future self because they were looking at themselves in the future. It was a computer-animated picture. Very interesting. I don't know if I would want to see that. I think I would be able to connect, but I don't know if I'd want to see it. And there are other ways to connect to your future self, not necessarily involving computer pictures of yourself in the future, way in the future. And I am going to get to that in a little bit, which are the tips that we can use to 
reel our lives back in and really get on it to change those patterns that we have for procrastination. Again, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Here's the Thing. I'm your host, Lauren Cardinal. And tonight we're talking about changing your habits around procrastination. If you'd like to work with me and volunteer for some coaching, call in live right now, 732-748-1079, 732-748-1079. So I spoke of time inconsistency, the perception of time difference between present and future self as it relates to procrastination. And next, as I see it, is the discussion of emotion. In the last few years, from what I've been reading about this week, scientists have begun to think that procrastination might have less to do with time and more with emotion. Because as we said earlier, procrastination really has nothing to do with time management. There's a uh, professor of psychology at DePaul University who says that telling the chronic procrastinator to just do it would be like telling somebody who's angry to just be happy. It just doesn't really work. It's, it's not an easy change like that. It's not just do it. And this professor, Joseph Ferrari, thinks that procrastination happens for two basic reasons. We delay action because we feel we're in the wrong mood to complete a task. And we assume that our mood will change in the near future. So I'm going to read off some some points here. And just think about if you recognize any of these excuses having to do with emotions or mood around procrastination. Here's the first one. If I take a nap now, I'll have more focus later. If I eat this cake now, that'll be my cheat for the month. And I'll have more willpower. If I send a few tweets now, my fingers will be used to typing sentences, which will make this article easier to write. If I watch TV now, I'll feel relaxed and more likely to call the doctor's office tomorrow morning. Resonate with you? I know there are one or two that I resonate with, but I've certainly heard many times. Now, this approach isn't merely self-defeating. It also creates a procrastination doom loop, let's call it. Putting off an important task, it makes us feel anxious, guilty, and even ashamed. Anxiety, guilt, and shame make us less likely to have the emotional and mental energy to be productive, and that makes us even less likely to begin the task in the first place. Which makes us feel guilty, which makes us less productive, and around and around we go. What's worse is that the guilt, the shame, and the anxiety we feel while procrastinating are usually worse than the effort and energy we have to put in while we're actually doing the work. The problem often isn't doing the work, it's starting the work. I think about, and I've even mentioned this to my kids, about when the procrastination comes in about the homework. First of all, I say, it's not going to go away. It's still there. 
And I know that there's a delay because it's a boring task and they just don't want to do it. And when it comes to more of the project things, the most difficult part is getting started. I'm sure many of you can relate to work items or even back in college having to write a paper. And the hardest part was getting started. Once you have your idea or once you start putting a couple thoughts on the paper, things can seem to flow. Even if you put something down and walk away from it and let it percolate. Sometimes that's what I do for newsletters or even the show. I come up with an idea and throughout the week I'm doing research and letting ideas, conversations, examples, quotes just percolate so it all comes together. But the hardest part is often getting started. I know you can relate to that. And interestingly, research, I keep quoting research tonight, but I think it's important because a lot of the procrastination things that we're talking about does go back to science and why are we doing it? Because theoretically and in our our conscious minds, it doesn't make sense. Why would we do this? But research suggests that one of the most effective things that procrastinators can do is forgive themselves for procrastinating. In a study by Timothy Peichel, I think that's how you pronounce his name, a professor who studies procrastination at a university in Ottawa, Canada, mentions that students who reported forgiving themselves for procrastinating on studying for a first exam ended up procrastinating less for a second exam. And this all works because procrastination is linked to negative feelings. Forgiving yourself can reduce the guilt you feel about procrastinating, which is, as we mentioned earlier, one of the main triggers for procrastinating in the first place. So we are going to talk about more about the emotional state of procrastination and why we do it, and then get into the tips of what we can do to change those behaviors and hopefully take a few calls after we take this break. So we're just going to take a short break, and we'll be back in just a minute. And now, back to Here's the Thing, a show that's all about you on WOLD. And your host, Lauren Cardinal, a board-certified hypnotist and results coach. If you'd like to speak to Lauren, you can call in at 732-748-1079. That's 732-748-1079. Let's get back to the show with your host, Lauren Cardinal. Hello and welcome back. This is Here's the Thing, and tonight we're talking about understanding and learning how to change patterns around procrastination. Now, before the break, I was talking about the idea of forgiving yourself if you've procrastinated, because if we don't forgive ourselves, then the guilty feelings could cause us to procrastinate more. And... Another part of it is that you don't, it's important to recognize that you don't have to be in the mood to do a task. I know we all want to be. We want to be in the mood. But sometimes it may make sense to just ignore how you feel and get started. 
Just think about that for a minute. Most of us seem to believe that our emotional state has to match the task at hand. But that's just not true. Sometimes it just isn't true. Are we ever going to be excited about doing our taxes? Likely not. So in those cases, we just have to do it, right? And most of us get around to it. Although I think there was, I read something that something like $475 million was paid in late charges for, regarding taxes last year. Something crazy like that. So some of us obviously are not just doing it. But there are people out there that like to do that, and that's what they get paid for. So that's always an option too, right? So being able to recognize that you may rarely feel like it, and it doesn't matter if you don't feel like it. It's funny, I was thinking about, and this it's come up in my mind a couple times, but as it relates to this, it was just a perfect, a perfect example. Several years ago, I don't, having to do with my husband, I don't know if it relates to when we were dating or after we were married. I remember him saying something along the lines of, we were talking about something to do. I think it was a project outside, moving dirt or stacking wood or something like that. And he said, but I want to do that, but I have to be in the mood. And I remember thinking, I don't know if I said it out loud, but I remember thinking, what does that have to do with it? <laughs> Why do you have to be in the mood? It just has to be done. You don't have to be in the mood. And it was my first, it was like one of the first times that that idea had been brought to my mind. Because that's just not how I roll. And I, I feel like I learned at a very young age that the mood thing doesn't necessarily have to go with getting things done. Like when I spent an entire weekend in fourth grade writing up my New Jersey report because I procrastinated. But at that point, I still didn't want to do it, and I just got it done. But I do remember specifically when I used to play with my neighbor growing up. I was really young. It was five or six, and we, we were in the playroom at, our, at my house, my family's house, and... We did not want to clean up our toys at the end of playtime. Just didn't want to do it. But it was a requirement. I mean, our parents said when we played together, we've got to clean up afterwards. So when we didn't feel like doing it, and sometimes it was more difficult than others, depending on what we were playing with. And those times that we really didn't feel like cleaning up, I would say to my friend, let's just do it quick as a rabbit. Just start moving quick as a rabbit. And we would say it. As we were doing it, quick as a rabbit, quick as a rabbit, quick as a rabbit. And the irony is that in what seemed like no time at all, we were done. And then the good part about that is that in the future, we didn't dread it as much because we knew we had this tool. We just took the same approach, quick as a rabbit. It's so funny. I don't know where I came up with that one, but it just stuck, quick as a rabbit. And I think about that sometimes, too, about things that I don't want to do. Let's just let's do it. Let's just get in there and do it quick as a rabbit, even if I don't say those words. But then there's also fear that comes up as the mood behind procrastination. And that can be something we want to work around, too, right? Sometimes perfectionism is the fear, that fear of being judged, that about being criticized. Sometimes it's the perfectionism part about needing more information to get it just right. 
I have a friend who didn't put her website together for months because she didn't know what to say. She wanted it to be right. She wanted it to represent her perfectly. And in the meantime, she had nothing out there. Her perfectionism, her fear, allowed her to procrastinate. And the ultimate choice and decision, because procrastination is voluntary, was to have nothing out there. What was it earlier? Was it Hunter Thompson who said that, let me find that, a man who procrastinates in his choosing will inevitably have his choice made for him by circumstance. It was made for her. And I'm not a, a foreigner to that concept. If you're feeling fear as part of your procrastination, just take a moment to identify what it's about. I know that when I procrastinate, it's most often my fear around what any decision means to me in relation to giving up time with my family. I have often hovered around the fear of failure for obvious reasons and the fear of success for what it means to my family time. That being said, I can usually get out of my own way by taking the emotion out of it and just diving in quick as a rabbit. So if you find that you are hesitating on things that you know need to get done, you have goals, you've chunked them down, you know what needs to be done today in order to be where you want a year from now, and you're still having trouble with it, give a call in. Let's do some coaching around it. 732-748-1079. So action items. Let's get into it. Some ways to address procrastination so that it's manageable. We are all still going to procrastinate. Accept it and forgive yourself. But this is about progress. And I'd like to share with you a few tips from James Beard, who writes extensively about procrastination. He mentions several options, four options. Option one, make the rewards of taking action more immediate. If you can find a way to make the benefits of long-term choices more immediate, then it becomes easier to avoid procrastination. We're satisfying that present self. One of the best ways to bring future rewards into the present moment is with a strategy known as temptation bundling. Temptation bundling, what is that? It's actually a concept that came from research performed by Katie Milkman at the University of Pennsylvania. And this strategy suggests that you bundle a behavior that's good for you in the long run with a behavior that feels good in the short run, satisfying future self and present self. The basic format is only do that thing you love while doing that thing you procrastinate on. And I'll give you a few examples of temptation bundling. Only listening to audiobooks or podcasts you love while exercising. Only getting a pedicure while processing overdue work emails. Only watch your favorite show while ironing or doing household chores. That's what I do. I fold and put away laundry that is built up for a while while watching TV or a show that I've been looking forward to seeing. And I wait for it. Once it gets past like three or four loads, then I just put it all together. Yes, it happens. I procrastinate. It's one of those not important, non-urgent tasks. So 
I do it when I watch a favorite TV show. Bundling, temptation bundling. Another example is only eat at your favorite restaurant when conducting your monthly meeting with a difficult colleague. That one we can actually use for another show in dealing with difficult people. Anyway, I digress. Option two, make the consequences of procrastination more immediate. Rather than it being the future you that's a year from now, making those things affect the present self. And there are many ways to force you to pay the cost of procrastination sooner rather than later. For example, I talk about exercise. People, t I don't know. I don't know about you. I'm including exercise as something that people don't like to do. I love to do it. So I don't necessarily relate to this example for myself, and I'm sure there are many of you out there, but sometimes exercise can be a little monotonous and a little boring. For that, I'd say, come to my spin workout on Friday mornings. So there are many ways for you to pay the cost of procrastination sooner rather than later. For example, commit to working out with a friend at 7 a.m., 6 a.m., 8 a.m., whatever it is next week. And then the cost of skipping your workout becomes more immediate because you'll have to deal with that friend. You'll be letting them down. They might be annoyed that they got up and you didn't. Another way is to identify your goal in the future and break it down into things you need to do in the next, let's say, six months, one month, one week, and one day. However, it works for you. Because then you can see how delaying a task that's set up for this week can affect the trajectory of your overall goal. Your overall goal. It's the act of trying to pull back on that connection of the future self into the present. And for something like that, that is what we do as, as coaches. It's a matter of you identifying your goals, where you want to go, and bringing it back to things you can do in the present moment. And a coach will hold you accountable for that. You can find that in a friend or someone that you trust who supports you and will be honest with you. But as coaches, that's exactly what we do, holding you accountable for those things in between. And we'll get into deadlines a little bit in the future, but there is a difference between a deadline that you impose on yourself and a deadline that is imposed on somebody else. And for coaching purposes, as a coach, I don't impose the deadlines. I ask what's reasonable, but I do hold you accountable, which sometimes can feel like uh, a deadline that's imposed outside of yourself. Again, I digress. Option three, design your future actions. One of the favorite tools psychologists use to overcome procrastination is called a commitment device. Commitment devices can help you stop procrastinating by designing your future actions ahead of time. For example, you can stop wasting your time on your phone by deleting games or social media apps. I've actually done that. You could also block them on your computer. Similarly, you can reduce the likelihood of mindless channel surfing by hiding your TV in a closet and only take it out, taking it out for special occasions like a big game or something like that. In terms of finances, you can build an emergency fund by setting up an automatic transfer of funds to your savings account. These are all examples of commitment devices that help reduce the odds of procrastination. Like the last one with the finances. Oh, you're in the your 20s and you know that it's good to save for retirement, but retirement's, what, 40 years away. 
why do I have to start saving now? Well, doing the automatic fund transfer into your savings account or your 401k takes away that procrastination. And what about those deadlines? I don't know about you, but I thrive with deadlines. And I'm not sure if it's because it appeals to my procrastinating, the, the qualities I have as a procrastinator, but they do help me. They help me take the emotion out of it and focus, true focus. And I think that's maybe that's what drives it into the crisis quadrant, that quadrant one. Um, the one thing that can cut through the doom loop is the inescapable pressure of an impending deadline. I remember in college when the difficult part is getting started and write writing a paper, I minored in philosophy, and it seemed like every week I had a paper, and I would contemplate and try and percolate on what I was going to write about. And my class was at 5 o'clock on Monday nights. This was my senior year, and I remember going into, I think they called it the word processing lab at that point, or the computer lab, so I could use the word processor or the computer. I'm aging myself there. Um, but I would go in there at 3 o'clock and have to write my five-page paper. And I'll tell you, there is something about that deadline that can really provide the pressure. And for me, the focus. There were no distractions. I did not allow any distractions to enter in. It was all about the thoughts around that paper. And it, every week, it just flowed, which is probably the reason why I kept that pattern, that focus. Option four, make the task more achievable. And we've talked about things like this, what I'm about to talk about, in terms of uh, the decluttering show that we did a few weeks ago. Procrastination is usually centered around starting a behavior, like clearing out your garage, decluttering. And similar to that discussion of chunking down decluttering, one way to make habits easier is to use the two-minute rule. In decluttering, we talked about five minutes, setting a timer for five minutes. It keeps it as easy as possible. It keeps the focus there without distraction because we can focus for two minutes or five minutes. And making your tasks more achievable is important for two reasons. One, small measures of progress help to maintain momentum over the long run, which means you're more likely to finish large tasks. And two, the faster you complete a productive task, the more quickly your day develops an attitude of productivity and effectiveness, which is a huge catalyst for a, a better day. And that second point is of particular importance for overcoming procrastination and maintaining a high productive output day after day. Remember my story of quick as a rabbit. Just do it. Get in there and do it. And... Breaking it down is always a good way to approach it, particularly for those things that you may feel overwhelmed about and even those things that there might be some fear around because once you start dipping your toe in the water just five minutes at a time, you may realize that it's not as bad as you think and it's more manageable and the fear can subside. Now, those are tasks, those are options that you can do on a daily basis, but what about for the long term? What are some routines that you can do for peak productivity in the long term. And one of the reasons why I think this is important is because it's easy to slip back into procrastination time and time again. We all do it. 
because we don't have a clear system for deciding what's important and what we should work on first. And one of the best product productivity systems that I found in the research that I was doing, just to keep it simple and something for long term, is called the Ivy Lee Method. Not Ivy League, Ivy Lee. And it has five steps. One, the first step. At the end of each workday, write down the six most important things you need to do, you need to accomplish tomorrow. Don't write any more than six tasks. Then prioritize those six items in the order of their true importance. When you arrive tomorrow, concentrate only on the first task. Work until the first task is finished before moving on to the second task. The fourth step is approach the rest of your list in the same fashion. At the end of the day, move any items, unfinished items to a new list of six tasks for the following day. And you repeat this process every working day. And for those of you who aren't working, the same applies. The things that you need to accomplish, prioritize them one task at a time and add on anything that you didn't finish to the next day's list and reprioritize. And this works because it's simple enough and it forces us to make tough decisions. It removes the friction of starting and it requires us to single task because I'll tell you there's no such thing as multitasking. We all think that multitasking, you know, ever, the ability to multitask, the ability to multitask, it's a buzzword. There's no such thing. Because you can only focus on one thing at a time. Yes, people can switch gears quickly and move their focus quickly. But concentrating on multiple things at one time doesn't happen. And interesting, I was thinking about uh, tackling the tough things first and the most important things first. And I came across a, a quote you may have heard before. Mark Twain is quoted as saying, if your job is to eat a frog... Eat it first thing in the morning. And if your job is to eat two frogs, eat the big, the big one first. That kind of relates to the take the emotion out of it and just do it, but also prioritize so that you can tackle the things that are most important first. Now, we can also use visual cues. And the visual cues, two that I came across, one I think is, um, is very well known. The other one is more of an anomaly. James Clear explains that habits are formed both physically and ritually. So having visual clues can help you work through the things that need to get done that may be less desirable. There's an example of a stockbroker called Tyler Dersmid, and he moved paper clips from one jar to another. On his desk, he placed two jars. One was filled with 120 paper clips and the other was empty. And this is when the habit started. Every morning, he would start with 120 paper clips in one jar and would keep dialing the phone until he had moved all of the paper clips to the second jar. And that was it. 120 calls per day, one paper clip at a time. But by moving the paper clips from one jar to another, you could see the progress actively. Now, this doesn't mean that you need to make 120 calls a day. You can adapt it to anything. Moving the paper clips from one jar to another every time you finish another to-do thing or complete another workout. You can do it 30 paper clips over 30 days and just move one at a time. So at the end of the month, you can see how much progress you've made. Another thing for a visual cue, I came across um, something about Jerry Seinfeld and... 
a very successful comedian and consistent. And he said the better, the way to be a better comic was to create better jokes, and the way to create better jokes was to write every day. And perhaps this goes back to the five minutes, two minutes, maybe 15 minutes every day. And he said to get a big wall, and, wall calendar that has a whole year on one page and hang it on a prominent wall. The next step was to get a big red magic marker. And he said for each day that the task of writing takes place, you put up a big red X over that day. And after a few days, there'll be a chain. And it's a matter of just keeping at it, and the chain will grow longer and longer every day. And that you'll like seeing that chain, especially when you get a few weeks under your belt. And then the only job is not breaking the chain. So the focus isn't about the results. Then the focus is, not, is about not breaking the change the chain. And it didn't matter if, it, matter if he was motivated or not. It didn't matter if he was writing great jokes or not. It didn't matter if he was working on what would ever make it into a show. All that mattered was that he was not breaking the chain, that consistency, that certain amount of time. And it's visual. It's something you can see. I just thought that those were interesting. And let me check the time here. We're getting close. But I have something else that I wanted to mention. There's a part of personality that I think enters into procrastination. And maybe you relate to one of these. There are four that I want to mention and how it may play into your life as far as procrastination. So personality traits. First one, methodical. You're predictable. You're detail-oriented. You'd rather stay with what's tried and true rather than change. And anytime there's a tendency to have to change or there's a tendency to make a change and you can't see the value of it, you're going to procrastinate. And if anyone pushes you, you're going, you could get verbal at the fact that you aren't ready to make the decision. And in fact, you may turn around and make it sound like you're the one that needs to make, that the other person is the one that needs to make the choice and not you. Another personality type is the caring, compassionate person, very social, like to get along with people. They worry themselves, but they don't want anyone else to worry. So they procrastinate around situations that have the potential for conflict. Anytime there's anything disagreeable or they're concerned about hurting someone else's feelings, they're going to procrastinate to do anything. There's another personality type that needs to understand everything about everything. If they don't understand what's being requested of them, then requested them, then the lacking information, then they just won't make a decision or they'll turn it around on the other person. The last person, personality type, sees procrastination as a limitation and they don't want to be limited by anything. So they don't see themselves as procrastinators. They just want to be free-flowing and even though they're procrastinating, they just don't see it. So if you identify with any of those, it can add a little bit of enlightenment as to why you procrastinate. To end procrastination, we have to make the future consequences become present consequences. We have to connect the future to what we do each and every day. We discuss several approaches to tackling procrastination, and I hope at least one of them resonates with you. Consistency is the key. Couple quotes. Do something today that your future self will thank you for. Starve your distractions. Feed your focus. I'd like to thank you for joining me tonight. Set your calendar and tune in next week live at 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You don't want to miss the show. Until then, keep it light, smile, and enjoy. Good night.
The views and opinions heard on the preceding program are not necessarily those of the staff and management of Oldies 1079 WOLD or SRN Communications.